purpose, adventure, success. That's what a man's life should be. But as you traveled the road you thought led to a brighter future, the adventure you were seeking melted into a dull gray blur you just want to escape. You wish you could talk to someone, but wouldn't that be admitting defeat? Or is this longing for brotherhood hardwired into us? This is how each of us felt. We got honest about our need to connect, so we started getting together, opened the Bible, and found authentic answers. Welcome to the Real Men in the Real World podcast, sponsored by Ministry to Men of St. Charles County and hosted by Brian Bradensteiner. Well, welcome everybody. I am Brian Bradensteiner. I'm here with a great friend of mine in Chris Hodgden. Chris Hodgden and I met a long time ago, about uh, eight or ten years ago, give or take a little bit. And uh, Chris and I were introduced by a pastor friend while I was in Kansas City. Chris is from Kansas City on the Kansas side, actually. Uh, But he and I met over a cup of coffee was the very first time that we met. And Chris and I became fast friends. And uh, Chris and I have actually met on the phone every other week since then. That's been about nine years, Chris. Chris Hodgden also is a uh, owner. He was uh, part of the Hodgden Powder Company. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about what Hodgden Powder does, but if you're in the shooting industry, more than likely you're buying their product if you do any type of reloading whatsoever. They have well into the 90% of the total market, not only in the States, but also across the world. It's a fifth generation company. That does not happen very often. And quite frankly, by the time they give away uh, 10% of their profits, um, they've been able to touch over 450, get that again, 450 ministries over the course of time, his dad alone touch those 450. Please welcome to Real Men in the Real World, Chris Hodgson. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing super. Good morning. Tell me a little bit about your journey, Chris, if you don't mind, of the family business, being part of that, and what does that look like to you, not only from a business aspect, but also from a biblical aspect? Sure. So going back, my grandfather founded the company and right after World War II, he was in the Navy. And uh, he uh, started uh, as a hobbyist and um, he, he reloaded for his friends. He was a big time hunter and shooter. And he, uh, he read some article about uh, after World War I where uh, the government had dumped all this surplus powder in the ocean. They simply didn't know what to do with it. So my granddad thought there might be an opportunity after World War II. And so he, he bet right. He, uh, he ended up buying 50,000 pounds of government surplus powder that they used uh, primarily in the M1 and, uh, and, the, and the Grand. And so uh, what he did was is he, he took out an ad and American Rifleman, and he essentially started in the mail order business. And this was 1947, and uh, he did it as a part-time, on a part-time basis. He had a daytime job at the time. And uh, as, as the years progressed, uh, he, he was a salesman for a, an appliance company, and he kept 
outselling his boss <laughs> and his boss kept cutting his territory. And, and so uh, he finally, granddad finally just said, heck with it. And he also had one of the things he, he really hated to wear a tie to work. And he said, if I ever start a business, I'm never wearing a tie again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's exactly what he did. When he, uh, he, he really went into the, uh, the business headlong uh, after he got out of his daytime job in 1952. Um, and so uh, from that point on, uh, he sold uh, surplus powders uh, throughout the, uh, the 50s, really through the 60s, pretty much. Uh, we started dwindling a lot of the uh, surplus powders in the early 60s. So yeah, he had to come up with a way to uh, buy newly manufactured powders. And so we entered into several agreements with different vendors across the, across the world, really. And so that's uh, how we got into selling newly manufactured powders. And so through the years, um, the company grew. And then uh, along about 1976, we got into the muzzleloading market uh, with a product called Pyrodex. Now Pyrodex is the most successful black powder substitute for muzzleloading hunters and shooters. And so in 1976, actually 1975, my dad met a guy uh, by the name of Dan Pollock. And Dan Pollock uh, uh, was a chemist and he was a very studious, um, just a, a great guy. He did a lot of uh, pyrotechnics for different movies and that sort of thing. A brilliant guy, a very big Christian. And so um, this new Pyrodex product, uh, Dan was the, uh, the man that uh, manufactured the powder for Hodgdon and we marketed it. So he had, a, he had his uh, manufacturing facility up in Washington State. So Dan went into the factory each and every day to make this Pyrodex with three other guys and they prayed before they went into the factory. Mm. So in 1976, this product was introduced. It was an instant hit. And my dad uh, led the way on that with my uncle JB. And in, uh, early in 1977, dad gets a call uh, from the family uh, of Dan Pollock that there had been an accident. Mm. And the accident uh, killed Dan and the three other guys in the plant. And so my dad flew up there to go to these funerals and they were called celebrations of life. And so dad reflected on that and he didn't really understand what the celebration of life was all about. Mm. And so he came back home to Kansas City and then he decided to really dive into the, to the Word. He took a, a series of uh, Bible studies and it wasn't, but a couple weeks later, he finally found the truth. <laughs> and he found that he understood, he became a newborn Christian, he understood what celebration of life was all about. And after that happened, we had to move all the operations of the Pyrodex manufacturing facility to Kansas. Mm. And that's what we did. So this was in the late 70s, early 80s. I was in college at the time. And we'd had a series of accidents and this is all new. You know, we had, we had to start from scratch and, and rebuild everything. Uh, and we had to custom make everything. 
And so uh, the company was bleeding red. And back in the early 80s, as you'll remember, the interest rates were like 20%. Yeah, our interest rates today are actually pretty good compared to that. <laughs> yeah, pretty good, pretty good, yeah. And, and so, the, so the, the company was really struggling to keep afloat. And my dad really encouraged me to do other things. Um, he didn't really see a future for me uh, in the family business. So I got into radio. I studied radio, television, and broadcasting uh, through a journalism side of it. But... Uh, so the company continued to struggle. So my dad and my uncle, um, they lived off their savings. They actually went to bankruptcy attorneys and the attorneys told them that you should let the company sink, mm. go out and buy some nice houses and cars and just, just let it go. And they, they prayerfully considered it and they decided that no, they weren't going to do that and they were going to trust God and see where it was going to go. So by the mid uh, 80s into the late 80s, the company did start to turn and uh, we started making more money and um, hiring more people. And really by the early 90s, the company was doing much better. And that's when I joined full time. And uh, before that, I was in radio broadcasting for 12 years. And I, I think that was really a God thing for me because it helped me to learn about being on the radio, of course, I did that, and I did some television, but really it, it prepared me, I think God was preparing me for my public relations media management at, at Hodgton. So uh, I really I really had enjoyed that part of it. And, and when I joined the family business, it really was about, uh, it was agreement between my dad and my uncle because I really didn't want to be handed a management job and working for somebody else, I understand the, the value of work. And um, I wanted to earn my own way in the company. I didn't want anything to be given to me. And you have to earn that respect in order to get to the management job. And so I thought it was a good way to start that way. Um, just because my last name is the same as the company, that means I have to work even harder than everyone else. And so that's exactly what I did. And rightfully so, Chris. You know, you, you look at uh, our relationship over the course of the years. And, of course, when I first came to Kansas City to, to hang out with you, see you face-to-face -face and such, you drove us around. And I can remember we went to a Bass Pro Shop. And you said, hey, wait a minute. Let's, let's go down this aisle. No, this aisle. No, right here. Check that out. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, your last name's on the bottle there on a shelf <laughs> in Bass Pro Shop. I thought that was pretty cool. But, you know, you're talking about the different generations that you have at the company business. You know, I always liken that to the five chairs. You and I have talked about the five chairs being you have a great-grandfather, as, as our generation is, who pours into another, who pours into another, who pours into another, which allows us to be able to pour into others. And you and I have what we call an accountability partnership. What does that mean to you? Well, I, I think it, it, it primarily is, is that we, we talk about it a lot, doing life together. Mm. Uh, we, we share our joys and our sorrows and our anxieties and our worries together. 
We, we share our family problems, our marriage issues. I mean, we all have to have talk about what's going on in our lives with others. And, and with that, with an accountability, it's a special bond. It really goes beyond friendship. It, it's, we dive deeper. We get into each other's life in a much more meaningful way. So, Chris, 2 a.m., you're struggling with something, I'm struggling with something. Are you going to pick the phone up if I call you? Absolutely. And absolutely from this side as well. We know right, we have right. that bond, but it didn't happen overnight, did it? No, no. No, it's one of those things that we peeled the onion back, if you will. That's right. And I, you know, we dove into the Word each and every time we meet. And we, we read uh, a lot of different materials to focus on men issues. And, and I think um, just building up that uh, trust between each other and the vulnerabilities that we have with each other, uh, you're exactly right. It's just like peeling back an onion. As iron sharpens iron, we strive at Ministry to Men to sharpen each other to become better men for our families, our jobs, and in our spheres of influence. We learned you don't need to live with the feeling you're only treading water. God designed you for more than earning a paycheck and getting stuff done. He gave you a dream, a purpose, and a legacy to leave behind. We're on the adventure with the living Christ, growing into healthier, more honest, and more successful men. To learn more about Ministry to Men of St. Charles County, go to ministrytomen.net. Ministrytomen.net. Real men in the real world. Now, Chris, when we when we sit back and we pour into each other and we learn the highs of highs, the lows of lows of all of our daily walk, if you will, you just don't go out and start telling people what we've been talking about, huh? No, no, not really. <laughs> um, not, we, we do. Uh, we can share some of the joys, I think, and <laughs> some of the victories, you know. <laughs> But it's like we have a vault between us, and we pray yes. for each other. We love each other yes. immensely as brothers in Christ. And so much so, you just recently took a mission trip halfway across the world, and now you're back about a week on your feet back in the States, finally catching up on some sleep. Tell me, what, what prompted you to want to go across halfway across the world to be able to pour into the mission work in that territory? Well, I think I, I've learned a lot from my dad and his legacy. And, and just going to fast forward in the company, um, in 1997, uh, my dad uh, read a Larry Briquette uh, book, and it talked about, you know, that it's all God's, everything is God's, including our wealth, and our profits of our company. And so uh, we, Dad decided at that time, he really pushed hard to start tithing. And so we did that, and also we started uh, profit sharing with our employees. And our company took off business-wise, profit-wise, from that point on, from 1997, to unbelievable heights where it is today. But from that, uh, we meet every month. Our family meets, well, every other month now, but uh, we, we have a charitable family meeting. 
And so we talk about different uh, ministries across the world. And so we've done a lot of work in India. India has 1.4 billion people. It has 1 billion Hindus. Wow. The Hindus have over 33,000 gods that they worship. And so that's 97% unreached in mm. India as far as that goes. So we are, we are very uh, high on both supporting basic needs of people there, uh, feeding them, housing them, so many orphans, um, and so much abuse and trafficking, sex trafficking of women. That, you know, a lot of them are just treated subhuman. You know, they have the caste system there. And so there's so much need in India. And so I went to India about 10 years ago. And then I, I, I God was, was tugging on my heart to go again. Uh, I have a friend here locally that goes to India a couple times a year. Um, and it's called Thunder Zold Ministries. And so Bob Zoller is his name. And so Bob invited me to come back to India. And he said, well... Would the timing be good if you go, you know, in January of 2023? And so I said, I prayed about it and I said, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's time for me to go back. And so I got to visit a couple different places in India. And, uh, I, you know, the culture shift in India is happening like it is in the United States. Uh, a lot of the church is more interested in feeding and housing, meeting basic needs, which is great but they're not as much interested in spreading the gospel. Hmm. And so one of the ministries I visited is called Serve India, uh, and they have about 18,000 pastors across the nation there in India. And they're very, their number one goal is to spread the gospel throughout India as much as possible. Wow. Now, Chris, you had sent me some pictures while you were over there, and one of the telling things was your smile from ear to ear. And it was phenomenal to be able to see that being halfway around the world, I'm sitting on my couch looking at my phone, knowing that my buddy is in the place that God actually wants him to be at that exact moment. Yes, and um, I really felt it, it grew my faith to be around so many believers there. They have such hardships in India beyond what we can even imagine here in, in the United States. Um, and, and really, they, they, the Sunday morning uh, worships are several hours long. <laughs> and they have, it's such a celebration to them because it's a way, they have hope. They, they have hope through Christ because of the, their, their difficulties that they have there. Um, and you know what really struck me was when I was over there, I attended several church services. What really struck me is, is that they were singing the same hymns as we do and, <laughs> in their language, and they're reading the same Bible as we do, and they're talking about the same kind of hardships and difficulties as we do here in the United States. So it's re it was really neat to hear the hymns being sung in a different language. Wow, that would be really, really cool. Yeah. Chris, um, yeah. tell me a little bit about uh, mentoring and what does it look like 
in your eyes for a younger generation? You have two children now. You have grandchildren as well. What, what does it look like for the younger generation to really get connected, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it having a mentor? I think it is mentoring. Uh, you know, I think it is uh, mirroring your life and how important it is to you to have Christ in your life. Um, I think it, you, you can set a, an example for others in how you live. Uh, you can talk about it, but I think you need to show it. Mm. You need to actually walk the walk as you talk the talk. So going forward in, in my life, um, I sh- certainly like to volunteer and do things uh, for, for Christ because uh, that's, I don't do it out of just selfish reasons. I want to do it for Christ. That, that's my focus is on Christ. And I think when you're mentoring others, you can show them what it looks like to, to be uh, involved in the community, both in the community and generous giving. You know, time, talents, and treasures, right? Mm. And so you can demonstrate that, that part of the treasures part is, is by giving selfishly. In giving selfishly, you know, we were trying to set up some, some pre-podcast communication and uh, you had to put off a phone call to noontime because you were giving to Habitat for Humanity at that time in the morning. So you are walking to walk and talking to talk. And, you know, I, I've heard this on many occasions before, Krista, where people will say, you can share the Bible and at times use words. That's right. That's right. And I think, I think um, it's, it's good to be able to defend your faith. And I, I try to do the best that I can to defend it in a loving way to others who disagree with you. Um, and, and, you know, we're seeing this change and culture shift in our, obviously, in our country. That's, that's not good. And, and we need to know how to defend our faith against, uh, against these, these uh, uh, woke, so-called po- woke and liberal policies that, that really aren't good for our society. So that's another thing that young people are really, you know, getting into that are being brainwashed, in my opinion, is, is, is all these new um, uh, political correctness kind of things that are going on in our country. And we really need to talk about the truth. Quite frankly, the truth will set you free, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Chris, I got a few more things here before uh, we're going to finish up. But um, we talked a lot about just spending time together of learning about each other's insecurities, about learning each other's highs of highs in life. And I know one of the things that you really enjoy doing is in the shooting industry, obviously, uh, but going hunting. You ever gone to like Argentina to do any type of hunting before? <laughs> we could share a lot of great memories about that place, can't we? There Brian? is there is no doubt about that. There we have four brothers, not physical brothers, but four brothers go to Argentina and we just had a wonderful time just sharing life together. Tell me a little bit more about that, Chris. Well, we uh, when we went down to Ar- Argentina, so their big thing there is dove hunting. And so uh, we went to Cordoba, Argentina, uh, first to Buenos Aires, but then to Cordoba. But 
uh, that was a, if you really, if you like to eat, that's, that's the place to go. And, and they have good wine there too, which is good. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of, we had a lot of fun down there and uh, being in the fields and so forth as well. Chris, <clears throat> I want to just thank you so much for being a friend. You know, our, our relationship has grown over the years and when we get together every other week, it's on the phone. It doesn't have to be in person, although we've met on several occasions in person. But we talk on the phone for an hour at a time. We share the gospel together. We pray with each other, over each other, for our families. We pray for hedge of protection. We do so much. And when I leave those conversations. I'm getting God bumps right now as I'm speaking. <laughs> but when I leave those conversations with you, I am on a high because I know that I've been filled back up. That is so true. I can't say it any better than that. Uh, it's It really does make my day too. Hmm. Um, I, you know, when I come off that phone call my wife Adele she says wow I can tell you really had a great conversation and <laughs> how was that and I said oh my gosh it was so good honey <laughs> <laughs> oh that's wonderful Chris I gotta say I love you I love you and I love, I love you. you too brother I love you too brother hey I got uh what I call the finishing five I'm going to give you some shotgun answers. No pun intended, by the way, but what I'm asking for is one word answers back and you'll get it as we go along. And it's going to repeat. Now you're putting me on the spot. I, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Finishing five. Number one, what's your favorite sport? Football. Football. Have you ever met a guy by the name of Chris Lawrence? Yes. <laughs> favorite food? Steak and potatoes. Steak and potatoes. Blue and red or black and gold? Blue and red. All right. Okay. Are you a Chiefs fan? <laughs> it's actually crimson. Crimson. And blue. All right. Well, see, that tells you I, I'm the other side. I'm the black and gold side. In case you're wondering, that's K U M U banter right there. Chiefs fan? Yes or no? Chiefs fan? Yes. Very good. So, for those of you who do not know, Chris was on the radio for many years before in the Kansas City region and other places throughout the country. His radio name was Chris Lawrence. So that's why I asked the question, have you ever met Chris Lawrence, which is a nod to where Kansas University is in Lawrence, Kansas. So Chris Lawrence, my buddy Chris Hodgden, I love you, my friend. I am so grateful that you are doing what you're doing in the community, not only in the Kansas City area, but around the world. Your family's awesome, and you, my friend, are an awesome, awesome person. I love you, buddy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, buddy. We believe that God made you for a purpose and gave you a dream and a legacy to leave behind. To reach that purpose, lock arms with other men on the same quest. Visit ministrytomen.net to find out how. We are Ministry to Men. Real men in the real world.